It says in Colossians 3, verse 23 to 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, this passage teaches us that no matter what we do from day to day, every day we go to work, every day we go to our volunteer place, every day we do our daily tasks, no matter where we go, our daily workplace is a place we follow Jesus. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, and we are all doing something, whether that's going to the office or the factory, or the work site, or the desk, or the, the lab, or the cubicle, or the work table, or the cash register, or the smart board, or the tractor, or the lecture hall, or the driver's seat, or the trading floor, or the playroom, wherever it is you go to work, whatever you do, that is where we work. Most of us do paid work. Some of us not. Some of us volunteer. Some of us are retired. But just think about the person beside you, or, or yourself, or the person down your pew who works at a regular job for pay. That person, this week, has worked about two-thirds of her waking time at work, and she'll do that for most of her life. That's a lot of time at work, second only to sleep. And our work is often hard and stressful and demanding. And our workplaces change so often, more than ever before. COVID has um, caused many of us, or forced many of us to pivot, to adapt, to work from home, to learn new technology, and, and to be on, online so much and ha live half our lives on Zoom calls. And that affects our productivity, our stress, and our fatigue levels. And we hear about it on, all over the news, all over the radio, about how this has affected our, work, our workplace and our, our, our ability to work and, and our stress and our health. Even beforehand, technology was forcing us to, to change a lot. Technology has never moved so fast. If, if my grandfather, who was a farmer in Holland, if he would walk onto his farm now, and see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren working it, he would barely recognize what was going on. Farmers now use GPS and artificial intelligence and drones and analytics and connected sensors and so many different technologies to, con to increase their yields and to improve efficiency and build sustainability and enhance resilience in crop cultivation and animal husbandry. That, that it, you think of a, a farmer, a farmer is is an advanced thinker, an advanced technology user. What used to take 100 hours to produce from the farm now takes about two hours, but those two hours are filled with a complex use of computers and finely tuned technology. And that's just farming. 
who knows what's going on in architecture and engineering and, and, and teaching and, and all these, these ways. We have smart boards and we have smart tables and, and all this technology that's going on. We work hard, whatever you do. Our life is much more complex than in Bible times. And yet, we still do the same thing. We still work. You still do something, whatever you do, Paul says. You may do it for pay. You may do it as a volunteer. You may do it for a little while or for a long time. You may have, somewhere, have to be somewhere at a certain time or you can set your own hours. But it's still something you do. You still use your gifts and your interests to accomplish important work in the community. Whatever you do, whatever it is you're doing, it is not unimportant. It is important work, and it matters to God, and it matters to all of us. Then we move on in this passage. It says, whatever you do, okay, next one. I don't know. Uh, I will have to make peace with this thing one day. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not people. That reframes everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. You know, when we read that, we think, okay, work with passion. You know, work, you know, that's, that's a good interpretation of this passage. Work with passion. Work with all the energy you can muster. Never give up. Sounds like a good passage for the Olympian athletes that we're watching on TV these days. Give it all you've got. Leave everything on the ice. Christians ought to be good workers. You know, get in there, work hard, be, you know, have a reputation of, of being passionate, good, skilled workers. That, that's a great way to understand this passage, and, and it is a good way. And yet there's more to this teaching. It's a call to work with integrity. Because when you believe in Jesus... The Spirit of God comes and lives within you, in your heart. And when it says, work with all your heart, that means everything you are, including what the Spirit is doing in you, and the Holy Spirit with you. You have a new heart. You have a heart that's eager to live as God intends. You have a heart that wants to please God. You have a heart that's wholly ready from now on to live for Christ. And when you work, you take that heart with you. You can't just sever off a piece of your heart. You can't just say, well, I'll, I'll leave God at church, and then when I go into my week, I'll take whatever. I'll do whatever. God is God, and work is work. Church is church. Business is business. I'll be one way at one place, and I'll be another way in another place. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. You work with all your heart, not just some of your heart. And your heart now includes your faith. It now includes your victory in Christ. It now includes your desire to please God and your new insights from the Spirit of God working within you. You cannot help but take Jesus to work with you. Christians are people of integrity. I'll try it again. Last week, talk show, late night talk show host Stephen Colbert opened up about his Christian faith with Dua Lipa on The Late Show. And as the two chatted about the pop star's new, uh, recently launched online newsletter and, 
and her new podcast, Colbert. He turned the tables and he said, would you like to interview me? And she reflected for a moment and, and then she said, yes, I would. And she thought and she came up with this question about the relationship between his faith and his work as a comedian. And she said this, I think something that your viewers really connect with in your comedy and your hosting skills, especially in the past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role your faith plays in your life. Do, you, do your faith and your comedy ever overlap, and does one ever win out? And Colbert, who identifies as a Christian, as a Roman Catholic Christian, joked about hoping that when he gets to heaven, Jesus has a, a sense of humor. But then he went on to elaborate the core principles of his faith and the spiritual dimension his work in humor can have. He said this, patience, there it is. He said, my faith is connected to the idea of love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving you yourself to other people and that death is not defeat. So if there's some, relation, some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. And that's what drives him. He brings his heart to his work and has a profound influence on our culture. He, he integrates his faith and it flows out of who he is as a follower of Christ. And every day at our work, we have opportunities to work with all our heart to integrate our faith. Our choice of work flows out of our faith. What we even choose to do flows out of our faith. The way we show up at work and do our work flows out of our faith. The way we interact with coworkers and bosses and customers, all of whom can be both wonderful as well as petty and mean, are deeply connected to our Christian faith. And we bring all of who we are to our jobs, working with all our heart. It's what's in your heart that keeps you strong in the face of the many temptations and the ethical situations that you face. My heart is my identity. And my identity is not, first of all, a worker. My identity is, first of all, a follower of Jesus. And that's how I approach my work. I take my identity wherever I go. And I can't check my faith, out, faith at the door. And I have to see work as a, a way of service to Christ. And my workplace is important to Him. And the things I do matter to Him. And the way I do it matters to Him. There's no place where we can go where we don't take our faith with us. And our faith does not affect our actions. We are always followers of Jesus in our, our daily tasks. We, you're, you're not there where you are by chance. You don't just happen to be somewhere. You didn't, or God placed you there. And your work is part of your service to God. And as a result, we're always called to please God in our work. As it says in our, in our passage, um, we'll get to it. As Tim Keller, Tim Keller points out in one of his sermons, pleasing God is different than appeasing God. When you appease God, you're saying, God, um, <clears throat> I'm, do I'm doing these things in order for you to be happy. And you're doing these things for God to accept you, to forgive you, 
to bless you. And it's interesting, Paul mentions reward. Here we go, there it is. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And it's, it's possible to read this passage with, with this understanding. It's possible to read it. If I work with all my heart as working for the Lord, God will reward me with something awesome. If I appease Him, if I do things right, if I witness on the job and be honest and do all those things Jesus says... Maybe he'll reward me with something. Maybe he'll reward me with health and wealth. And it's possible to think that work is a way for us to somehow get God to look favorably on us and shower us with all kinds of good things. But that's not the meaning of this passage. God has already promised us an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You are wealthy beyond compare. We have a promise already in, in, in Christ Jesus. And the way we re- read this passage is this way. Since you are already rich, since you already have an inheritance in Christ the Lord, you are called to do your work as to the Lord. Since you are receiving an inheritance that not, can neither spoil nor perish, kept in heaven for you in Christ, you can go to work as an act of service. It means we do our work as a way of saying, thank you for all that you've done for me, God. Thank you for my inheritance. Thank you for my faith. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for everything. And as I now go into my work, I want to say thank you. I want to do my work with gratitude, from a place of gratitude. The workplace is where we show the fruits of gratitude, which consists of obedience to God's word pleasing God who has saved us. We do our work as a way of saying thank you for the gifts he has given us, for the inheritance we have waiting for us, as a way of saying, you've given me this, let me use it to your glory and honor. Now, last year, we asked our congregation this question. It says, or it was, work does not always mean employment, so how do you describe your current work And what does it mean for you to do that work to the glory of God? And one teacher in in our congregation said this, I'm an educator who seeks to honor each child in my class, letting them know they are seen and known as we learn about the wonders of God's world together. I endeavor to connect connect new learning with the student's daily life and inspire curiosity. I work part-time so I can pour into my family and community. Glorifying God with my paycheck means living beneath my means so that there is more to share with missions and ministry. That teacher is bringing his faith to work. A young mom wrote this. She gave up her job and she was proud to take care of her kids. And, and had to change her meaning of or her idea of meaningful work. And she sees the menial tasks of cooking and cleaning and caring for her kids, her calling in life, a calling she'll pursue with delight. And it's not always easy, but she says, there are, she says this, there are times when I want to give up and wallow in self-pity. But then I remember, and this sounds corny, do it all to the best of your ability, do it for Jesus. And that mantra has helped me greatly in the daily grind, still working on delighting in laundry, though. But no matter where we work, we work 
for the Lord. We can give glory to God as a way of saying thank you for the gifts you've given me. Thank you for this opportunity. And Paul caps this all off by saying this. Um, it is the Lord you are serving. Jesus once said that, that we see him. You know, in Matthew 25, he says, I, um, Lord, when did we see you? Well, when I came to you in the, in the hungry, in the thirsty, in the imprisoned, the poorly clothed, you fed me. You, you visited me, you, you clothed me. We see the, the face of Jesus in those people. And here we can see that even in our work, we can have a sense that we can see Jesus in our workplaces. You are working the Lord Christ you are serving. And when you're serving your boss, when you're serving your coworkers, when you're serving your customers, who are you seeing and, and, and who are you serving there? And that changes everything for us. We see our work as service for Christ. We see opportunities to serve our bosses and coworkers as opportunities to serve Christ. We see ethical dilemmas as opportunities to put our wisdom into practice. We see our temptations as opportunities to, to live into the victory of Christ. And we face our tasks with a sense of, what's God inviting me into today? How can I live out my gratitude and, and put into practice the truths I'm learning from God's Word? How can I please God in my work. Our workplace is an important place in the mission of God. Our workplace is part of, of the big picture of, of God's creation and, and placing us in this earth to, to do His will and making this a place of wholeness and, and fullness and, and rich f gathering uh, togetherness. How can I please God in that? Our workplace is where we spend 50, 60, 70 percent of our waking hours. And as, as Mark Green points out, it's also, there we go, it's also the one place where Christian and non-Christian have to meet. The one place where the playing field is even, where Christian and non-Christian are subject to the same corporate culture, the same pressures, may have the same boss. The one place where the non-Christian can actually see the difference that Christ can make to a life. Not for a couple of hours over dinner, but for 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week over a couple of years. What will your coworkers see in you? Um, our passage is a calling to work in such a way that they will see a living servant of Christ. They will see someone who lives out of positive social virtues growing within. They'll see someone who's, who's flawed, who's broken, who doesn't have it all together, and yet is hopeful and growing. And they will see a life of gratitude living out from nine to five. Your life will speak more than your words ever do. Here we go. And whatever it is that you do, whatever vocation you pursue, work at it with all your heart as to the Lord. The mission of Christ includes the, those daily tasks. And as we follow him, may we do so in, with integrity, with skill, to the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for our daily lives, our daily work. Wherever it is that you place us, in our homes, in our offices, in our vehicles, in our job sites. Oh God, may we do it all to your glory. 
Show us the ways that we can do that with integrity, with skill, and with kindness. And help us when we don't do it well. Help us to follow you as in your great mission in this world. In Jesus we pray. Amen. When the music starts, let's sing together, Jesus, all for Jesus. As we come to the table now, I invite you to join us in this litany of praise. We give glory to God the Father, who out of nothing created all there is and provides abundantly. We praise, praise you, God, God the, the Father. We give glory to God the Son, Jesus, who became one of us and sacrificed his life to make the life of God available to all. We praise you, God the Son. We celebrate God the Spirit, who has been poured out on all people and leads us into the kingdom of God. We praise you, Spirit of God. And so, as we gather at the Lord's table, we recognize the presence of the triune God among us, and we open our hearts to receive his gifts. 
Lord, Lord we, we come, come knowing, knowing that we depend on you for life and truth and love. We come knowing that you welcome us with open and accepting arms. We come ready to meet with you and be changed by the encounter. Amen. The Apostle Paul said this to his followers, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. Christ, Christ has, has died. died. Christ, Christ has, has risen. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. Glory, Glory be, be to God. God. Yes. 
best cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth as we share in his Beloved, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love Him and who are truly sorry for their sins and who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and who desire to live in obedience to Him. So come now to this table. Come because it's not I who invite you. It's the Lord Himself. It is His will that those who want to meet him should meet him here. The gifts of God are for the people of God. So I invite you now to take the bread which you have before you. And as we hold this bread in our hands, we remember that the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. Take, eat, Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins.
And I invite you to take your cup. And as you hold it in your hand, remember that the cup of blessing which we bless is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe. Or take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Let us praise the Lord together. Jesus Christ is holy. Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this meal of remembrance and for coming to us in the Spirit's power as we have shared it. May the love we find at this table form us to be more like Christ who loved so purely. May the power of the sacrifice we receive at this table make us servants, neighbors, peacemakers, and healers. And may the Spirit who fills us again at this table lead us to be those who proclaim God's kingdom in every word we speak and everything we do. For Jesus' sake, amen. And now I invite you to stand. and receive God's parting words of peace. The power of God displayed in creation fill you with grace and to serve God in this world and the peace of God which breathes in everything enable you to spread God's peace wherever you go and the love of God which fills the universe flow through you so that you might reflect his image and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.